0: It's Sunday, May 2nd. I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Walk. This week on The West Walk, after years of failure, deja vu.
1: We thought. We were going down a path that was creating that better change. It clearly has not worked.
0: Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan taps retired Supreme Court Justice Louise Arbour to lead yet another external review into military sexual misconduct. The second in just six
1: years. This might be the opportunity to actually put it right.
0: Will it be enough for survivors? And why should they trust the government this time around? I'm glad it's happening now
2: but it should have started five years ago.
0: And amid a crippling third wave of COVID-19, questions about borders, vaccines, and hospitals beyond capacity. Our healthcare system is no longer functioning normally. We're taking the most critically ill patients, we're putting them in helicopters and into ambulances, and moving them across the province because we're searching for beds. Health Minister Patty Hajdu defends her government's handling of the pandemic. For months you have heard the voices of survivors of sexual misconduct and sexual assault in Canada's military. Women who have not only shown courage in uniform but who have bravely come forward to share their experiences while serving this country. You have heard their frustration, their disappointment and their anger abandoned by the military they so proudly serve. A lot of, a lot of women I have talked to
3: are hurt, angered, and, and disappointed. We're not at the table. We backbench men. We coach them on, on how it is. But we don't have a seat at the table.
2: The, the hardest part is
3: knowing there's nowhere to turn to.
2: There's nobody who's going to help you.
3: Last
0: week, Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan announced yet another external review into sexual misconduct in Canada's military. It comes just six years after former Supreme Court Justice Marie Deschamps delivered her landmark report on the same issue. But the Trudeau government has ignored many of that report's key recommendations. So why should victims trust the government to get it right this time around? Joining us now is Minister Harjeet Sajjan. Thank you so much for joining us today, Minister. We last talked to you in February when this story was first starting to unfold. We've now heard from many victims, women and men in the Canadian Forces, who have come forward with stories of sexual misconduct, sexual assault. What do you want to say to those victims about your government's responsibility and performance on this file?
1: of Mercedes, I want to thank you for uh, bringing this forward, Um, being uh, giving the survivors uh, a voice, which is extremely uh, important. And what I want to say to them that we're sorry, Uh, we're sorry that um, uh, a process that uh, has has failed you, that did not give you the comfort that you could um, come forward. um, uh, And, you know, without the fear of reprisal, something that we are absolutely committed to fixing and we will
0: When you look back at your personal handling of the complaint against John Vance in 2018, do you regret the way you went about that now?
1: Mercedes, I regret that the process that we've had before us has not given the proper support, uh, confidence and justice uh, to, to the survivors. And this is something that we do need to fix. It's a process that uh, we we felt that we were going down uh, a path that uh, gave uh, independence when it came to the SMRC for reporting, it clearly hasn't. And your reporting and the survivors who have come forward had clearly shown that. And this is why we are taking the actions that we are to making sure that the, in, that the independent system that we're uh, moving towards, it's gonna be far more um, apparent uh, that Madam on the work that she will be doing we're going to look at not just from the reporting side, we're going to be looking at accountability and, and the authorities piece as well. So they're potentially out of this will be organizational changes, but we want to move, work very quickly on this as well. And that's what the role that uh, Lieutenant General Carrion will also be doing is building that foundation to support the work that Metamore will be doing.
0: What about your personal responsibility in this, Minister? I mean, this is your department, and this has been happening under your watch for six years.
1: Mercedes, absolutely. What we want to do here is making sure that any time that something is not working, is you take strong action to be able to make, make the changes. This is But something why, that why didn't been you take this action before,
0: one. Minister? I mean, these recommendations were made in 2015. You've had six years to make the changes. For six years, what was happening seems to have gone undetected by you as the Minister. Why should victims believe that this will be any different this time when you're in the chair as the minister? How can you reassure them that after six years of inaction, that's going to change?
1: No, Mercedes, these are legitimate questions that the survivors have. and something that we have to work, um, to be, work better at. The actions that we were working on clearly have not worked to the extent that we wanted to. We have um, made progress, but that progress was not enough. And that's something that we admit, but we need to do better. The processes that we had in place, thought that we had some um, uh, independent reporting structure is not enough. We need to go beyond a reporting structure to give, um, bring in greater uh, authorities, make greater changes so that when we talk about the independence from the of Command, it's not just for reporting. It's also about looking at uh, organizational changes that we can look at not only supporting survivors, but also holding perpetrators to account.
0: Defence Minister Harjeet Sajjan apologized to survivors of military sexual violence and harassment last week, I mean, promising swift action to address this problem, problem that has plagued the, the Canadian problem. forces for decades. But while survivors may be cautiously optimistic, there are still concerns over the government's handling of this file. Here's more of my interview with Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan. We heard the prime minister say that nobody was aware that the allegation that was brought to you by the military ombudsman in 2018 was of a MeToo nature, of a sexual nature, and yet we've seen documentation from the Privy Council office that refers to it as sexual harassment. It was your office who contacted the prime minister's office. What was your understanding of the nature of that claim? Were you aware that there was likely a sexual element or having to do with conduct with women?
1: Oh when the complaint was brought forward, and I've had been very clear on my testimony at committee um, multiple times. And, and Mercedes, for me it was, it didn't matter what what the actual complaint was, a misconduct uh, potential complaint was brought out by about the chief of defense staff, and that action needed to be taken. And that's why we took the actions th- that we did. And, 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 and it's, I keep using the word process, and I know that our survivors, um, uh, they know that the process has failed them, but it was a process not only that we had, but also the previous government had. And it has to be followed because if you don't and undermine it, you can potentially undermine a just outcome. And that's exactly what happened, making sure it went to the Privy Council Office um, um, for, uh, for, for for further action. That action was taken, but it obviously w- was not enough. Um, as the Ombudsman stated that he could not come forward because the complainant did not, uh, did not wish to uh, come forward. But aggressive action was immediately taken. and But we need to make sure that the, the process that we put into place now is going to be far more uh, robust, and that's going to be uh, permanent as well.
0: But was your office, or were you personally aware, that the nature of the claim was sexual or to do with allegations about the chief's conduct with women?
1: Mercedes, as I stated um, uh, in my testimony, uh, when, the, it, the, when the complaint was brought forward we immediately took it to, um, uh, to uh, uh, notify the Privy Council Office.
0: But, but were you um, aware that it was sexual and in nature?
1: It, we did not know the details. It was only, um, did not know the details of the, of the complaint that I stated in, uh, in in my testimony. But then what how I did the Privy Council is,
0: Office know that it related compl- to sexual harassment? Because they knew it related to sexual what harassment want- and your office notified them.
1: Mercedes, what we wanted to do is making sure we gave it to them to actually look at exactly what needed to happen so that it is out of politicians hand and so when it came to those uh, type of discussions that they had uh, with um, uh, with the former ombudsman is to follow up and at the end of the day for us was regardless of what type of complaint it was to us any type of complaint that comes in but a chief of defense staff has to be taken seriously And that's exactly what we did. There is no confidentiality we can hold in place when it comes to uh, governor and council appointments. I have to be. But but Minister, this is this is a
0: a very straightforward yes or no question. Were you aware that it was sexual in nature or had to do with conduct around women?
1: Be be honest, that's uh, that's something that, uh, as I stated, um, I didn't have much details um, on on that. Um, I wanted to. My my priority was to making sure that the former ombudsman was able to then take it immediately uh, and speak to um, uh, the Privy Council office uh, about this so that the appropriate action could be taken.
0: That doesn't answer the question, but I'll ask you one last one because we're about to run out of time. Will you commit that your government will accept the recommendations that Madame Arbour puts forward?
1: Absolutely.
0: Minister Harjit Sajjan, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Great. Thank you very much, Mercedes.
0: And now for the opposition's take, joining me is Candice Bergen. She is the deputy leader of the Conservative Party. Thank you for joining us today, Ms. Bergen. I understand that your party is putting forward a motion, calling for Justin Trudeau to fire his chief of staff, Katie Telford. Why are you calling for that?
3: Well, we've actually tabled it in the House of Commons, Mercedes. Uh, you know, the fact is the prime minister continues to say that he knew nothing of the allegations against General Vance. Uh, I think many of us find that very hard to believe, the fact the Minister of Defence knew, uh, senior advisors knew, and now it comes out that his Chief of Staff, Katie Telford, knew. And according to Justin Trudeau's accounts, Katie Telford didn't tell him. If that's true, then he should fire her. So I, I guess in a sense what we're doing, Mercedes, is we're calling his bluff. If indeed he knew, he needs to man up and he needs to say that he knew and he needs to take responsibility for failing our men and women in uniform. And if he didn't know, then somebody bears that responsibility and we say that's his chief of staff, Katie Telford, and she should go.
0: It was a conservative government that chose to appoint General Jonathan Vance and documents obtained by Global News show that the military police recommended closing the police investigation into him the morning he was appointed. Why would your government ever have appointed somebody who was under military police investigation?
3: Well, when our our government heard of rumors, uh, the prime minister, the chief chief of staff, acted uh, on those rumors. But to your question, I, I do think those are fair questions, and I think the system was broken. I think General Vance took advantage of that. But there is a stark difference between our government, our previous government. Well, but, but do you think your government has some responsive?
0: Do you think that your government has some responsibility
3: here? Our government, we we appointed him in July. uh, An election was a number of months, very few months later. In that time, when the rumors came forward, our prime minister heard of them. He acted on them. Very, very different. It's a stark contrast to the current prime minister and minister of defense sitting on evidence and, in fact, pushing away evidence, saying we don't want to hear it. The minister of defense. Well, said, hey, hang we on, though, Ms. Bergen.
0: It. Your prime minister, Prime Minister Harper, did not look at the evidence. He never saw the military police reports. He never asked to see them. He took General Vance's word for it.
3: How, how is that better? No, 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 Mercedes. That's that. That's not. That's not quite quite accurate. Uh, when rumors, so when when General Vance was initially uh, being looked at for Chief of the Defense Staff, it came to the Prime Minister's attention that there had been a previous investigation of which General Vance had been cleared. The Prime Minister then sat down with General Vance and spoke to him directly. Stephen Harper talked to Vance uh, directly. Then rumors surfaced, and at that point, the National Security Advisor, under the direction of the Prime Minister's office, with the Prime Minister's knowledge, looked into rumors. Then an email came forward at which an investigation was launched. Why that investigation ended is a good question and shows Vance Vance said he had the system under his control.
0: Okay, I just want to be clear with our viewers that that General Vance was appointed the day that the military police recommended the second investigation be closed, though. That is all the time we have for today, but thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Bergen. Thank you. More than 12 million Canadians have received their first jab of the COVID-19 vaccine, and several provinces are expanding eligibility for those desperate to get their first shot. But Canada's third wave of COVID-19 has still been devastating. Hospitals are stretched beyond their breaking point. Doctors and nurses are burning out. And many essential workers still don't have paid sick leave. More than a year into this pandemic, there are still concerns that too many travellers may be entering the country, potentially carrying the deadly variants. Has the federal government done enough to keep Canadians safe? Joining me now to answer that question is Canada's Health Minister, Patty Haidu. Minister Haidu, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm great. It's nice to see you, Mercedes. It's nice to see you, too, and and we're all looking forward to getting back to in-person interviews, but it seems those are still a ways away, and we are hearing from experts today that Canada should be expecting a fourth wave of COVID-19, and that is news certainly none of us wanted to hear, but I'm curious to know, what is your government going to do differently in the fourth wave than you did in the third wave? Because doctors are saying, look, if we keep going down the same path, we're going to see similar results. So what have we learned, and what will you be changing?
2: Well, first of all, I would say that um, no wave is inevitable. We can actually change the outcome of how the virus behaves by our own behavior and by our collective actions. And so as much as I think we should be prepared for anything, what I can say is that the actions we take now and uh, together over the next several months will determine uh, how much more sacrifice we have to all collectively make. Uh, We know what's going to help. It's going to be laser focused on reducing transmission in communities. It's going to be ensuring that people get vaccinated as soon as they can. And supporting people to get vaccinated that may have further barriers from that vaccination. And it's going to be applying the lessons that we've learned through the pandemic about what reduces transmission, including, as you mentioned in your introduction, healthier workplaces and healthier living conditions. And so it is a lot of work to manage COVID, but we can do it. And we have, as you pointed out, learned a lot over the last several months. Why is your
0: government not rapid testing essential workers as they come across the border? I mean, they are certainly essential and everyone recognizes that, but that's. That doesn't mean they can't transmit the virus. A year in, why
2: aren't we rapid testing every essential worker who comes into Canada? we have certainly done pilots on the border for rapid testing with essential workers for example there was a pilot with truckers and we found very low rates of infectivity in fact uh, under you know 0. 0.3 of a percentage not to say that it isn't worth continuing our work to find ways to work with partners like unions and employers to do that rapid testing and we're always open to those approaches and as we ha- see technology evolve as we see if, for example even more rapid more rapid rapid testing survive uh, there will be additional uh, there will be additional opportunities to deploy those at the border we're always keeping those options open but it is really working with employers with unions and and of course uh, uh, with the workers themselves to make sure that what we apply at the border uh, is is uh, going to be helpful.
0: Premier Ford is asking the federal government to tighten the borders is that something that you're open to?
2: Well, the borders are pretty tight, Mercedes. Um, As I said, we have some of the strictest measures in in the world. Uh, I I think I've listed some of the steps that travelers have to undertake in order non-essential travel uh, um, uh, have to take. So the pre-departure test, prior to departing in the country of origin, the post-arrival test, the day eight test, the 14-day quarantine. Um, And multiple checks, by the way. Um, There's always more we can do. And in fact, uh, as the Premier knows, on the enforcement side, uh, he has all the tools at his disposal. In fact, OPP can enforce the Quarantine Act. So can local police. And so I would say that if the Premier has any concerns about any of those uh, travellers abiding by the requirements, that uh, he has the tools that he could use to enforce the Quarantine Act along with the, the measures that we've put into place at the federal level.
0: But you could also take those actions now. One of the things that experts are looking at is how long people have to quarantine. If you fly into Canada and and you're not an essential worker, you have to quarantine for three days, compared to in New Zealand, where it's 14, in a federal facility that's monitored. How did your government decide on the three days? It almost seems like it was more designed to deter people
2: from traveling than to actually keep the virus from getting out. Well, Mercedes, actually it was around uh, how long we anticipated it would take for the uh, post-arrival PCR test to come back. And the estimated time that we had from the experts that we were working with was three days. So that's why the requirement of three days is in place. In fact, for some people, especially in the early days, it was longer and they were required to stay in the hotel until that PCR test came back negative, And we were certain that it was safe for them to uh, further, tra- uh, further travel to their final destination. That's the approach that we took based on the science and evidence but obviously with these variants three days hasn't been enough because they have
0: gotten into the country and and they are here and they could continue to get in should you be looking at a longer mandatory quarantine period in a federal facility than three days should be looking at the kinds
2: of numbers that australia or new zealand use to enforce the zero covid policy what I would say, Mercedes, is that we have to stay focused on where transmission is happening, and the transmission is happening in community and what works for. But, but the COVID variants are coming across
0: the virus, the border okay. with all with all due respect, Minister. The variants are coming in from other countries. That's how they're getting here, and then we're having community transmission. So why not create a tighter net so the variants don't get in in the
2: first place? What we know about COVID is that what stops COVID, stops COVID and it is, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of work at all levels. It's at the community level, the provincial level, the federal level. And we've been there for provinces and territories as they work to reduce transmission in their various jurisdictions. That's where we need to stay focused. You know, people are getting sick at work. They're getting sick in crowded housing settings. They're getting sick in community. And that community transmission is where we need to stay laser focused. Because when we bring down cases of COVID in community, that's when we start to see the resumption of a more normal um, Canadian life. And so I'm focused on that. Reducing transmission wherever possible. And also vaccinating people as quickly as possible so that we can save lives and stop the spread.
0: Where are you at in terms of advice to Canadians on whether or not they can mix vaccines for
2: their second dose? Well, let's be clear. Um, I'm not a medical doctor and uh, that advice would come from the professionals that are studying this, the researchers and the public health professionals that are studying um, vaccination and will provide advice to Canada should we see ourselves in a situation where we do need to recommend mixing of doses. As of right now, though, I would say that our supply is indeed predictable and stable. We have a very predictable schedule from Pfizer. Moderna is increasingly more stable in terms of their projections on their deliveries. And you <laughs> our our officials at uh, at Public Safety and Procurement Minister Anand and her team are working day and night to uh, ensure that we can get more doses earlier than ever. And in fact, that's what's happening. It's actually a good news story this month. We're seeing 2 million doses of Pfizer alone week over week in the month of May, and we can see the finish line as Canadians. So we need to stay focused on taking the vaccine when it's our turn, um, being part of that movement to uh, faster, to to a a more normal life. Uh, And I know that those standards welcome. But of course, where
0: the money will come from to get homes up to those standards still remains uh, an open question, both for the provinces and federal government at this point. That's all the time we have for today, though, Minister. So thank you so much for making time for us and joining us. Thanks very much, Mercedes. Take care of yourself. Thank you. You too. That's all the time we have for today. For the West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson. Thanks for listening.